Support for this podcast and the following message come from the University of Alabama. Through Bama by Distance, you can earn a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree with online coursework and affordable tuition. Learn more or apply today at bamabydistance.ua.edu. Welcome to Pop Culture Happy Hour. This week, Black Panther opens in theaters, and we've been looking forward to this for a very long time. It's directed by Ryan Coogler, and it stars Chadwick Boseman as Black Panther and Michael B. Jordan as the villain Killmonger, among, believe me, many others. Black Panther is a part of, but also different from, the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It has a distinct look, a specific point of view, and original music from Kendrick Lamar. I'm Stephen Thompson. And I'm Linda Holmes. On today's Pop Culture Happy Hour, we're talking about a movie that, spoiler alert, is as good and as interesting as you've heard, Black Panther. Also with us is Glenn Weldon, who happens to be the author of books on Superman and Batman. Hi, Glenn. Hey, Linda. And from NPR's Code Switch team, the great and good Gene Demby. Hey, friends. What's good with you? Oh, we are excited to get into this with you. I'm going to come back to Gene in a second. Glenn, what did you think of the movie? Uh, well, I wrote the review for NPR, and uh, I left it all on the on the field there. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty much pretty much what I think about it. Look, it is a testament to the fact that after eighteen Marvel Studios wow. superhero films, this genre is big. It can be mm-hmm. has not historically been, but it can be varied. You can still find stuff that's new. I was struck again and again by how this movie kind of played it uh, a little bit on both sides. So we have. He fights an evil version of himself. Mm-hmm. Spoiler. That mm-hmm. is, we've seen that before. There are car chases uh, done really well, but we've seen car chases before. At one point, there is a uh, character death, and the main character says, no! <laughs> that is, that's like, it's it's the law, I guess. Fresh as a daisy. Fresh, Fresh as a daisy, that Everything one. Everything else, yeah. though, feels new. Everything else looks different. It sounds different. The soundscape of this film is something we should spend some time on. Because it is set in this fantasy world that has been untouched by colonialism, that has been untouched by institutional racism. Yet the film does not ignore institutional racism because there is a character who spent his his entire life steeped in it. And that's what superhero movies are about, are about addressing reality mm-hmm. through fantasy, through having us believe in something bigger and better, a better world than the one we're living in. Yeah. And when you say it's untouched by colonialism, I would say Wakanda, which is a fictional African country and very much isolationist. Yeah. They're untouched by colonialism in the sense that they've tried to keep it outside of the borders. Mm-hmm. I think they're very much touched by it in the sense that it's made them adopt kind of a defensive posture Absolutely. about getting mm-hmm. involved with other countries. Countries and it's made them, it's contributed to that isolationism. Right. And when they're, when we have the villain named uh, Eric Killmonger, which is a very super villain name, again, we, we, <laughs> For we, real. we check that box. The thing about a good villain is they have to be wanting to address some grave injustice. Yeah. And you want to disagree with the, with the execution, which is murdering billions of people, but you don't necessarily want to disagree with the intention. Mm-hmm. Because at the, the thing about Eric Killmonger is... Dude has a point, right? Yeah. Dude, it's that kind of got a point, yes. which is about sure. they should be sharing their wealth, perhaps. Right. And and this is a movie about a king. How does that get relatable? Well, the film works through that. So I, I really, really dug it. How about you, Gene? 
Um, I think actually the stuff that you brought up was all the was the stuff that I really wanted more of. And I think I liked the movie. I didn't like I, I dug it. I didn't love it. And I feel bad for not loving it. One of the reasons I didn't love it so much was because those ideas were thrown out there and I just wanted more of them. You know, mm-hmm. like I really wanted to like sit with like what made Wakanda tick? Like how did it look, right? We we get introduced to this beautiful, technologically advanced world. I wanted to know like how their society was organized. I just like I kinda wanted to just like, like you guys were joking about this before, but I wanted a, a documentary on Wakanda, which is not what the movie's supposed to do. <laughs> um these big ideas around like internationalism versus isolationism versus like fomenting black revolution around the world were like really interesting ideas to throw into a Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted like to sit in all of these the stuff a lot more. I didn't love the action in it that much. Wow. I know like I know we all disagree on that. Um <laughs> uh, um you know, Chadwick Boseman has been Jackie Robinson. Uh, he's been Thurgood <laughs> Marshall. Right. He's, he's uh, like, was he James Brown? He was James Brown, yeah, right? James mm-hmm. Brown. Yeah. But he's gotten really good at playing this sort of like noble, righteously indignant black man, mm-hmm. uh, important black man, who is also sort of like a cipher. Like Black Panther is the least interesting part mm-hmm. of Black Panther. As the movie went on, as we meet Michael B. Jordan, as we meet some of the other characters, I was like, oh, what would this movie have been like if Michael B. Jordan were T'Challa or if someone else were playing this role? Yeah. Um, He's very much the plot pivot um, Mm -hmm. in the sense that everything is sort of revolving around him. But I think when you talk about how many ideas the film is trying to explore, it Mm -hmm. doesn't Mm -hmm. indicate that it has a lot of ideas about him. Or if it does, they are more similar to the ideas in other superhero movies or just other heroes' journey stories Mm -hmm. than the, the kind of really interesting, as you're saying, thorny stuff about about global politics and things like that. So it seems to me to have fewer interesting ideas about T'Challa mm. than it does about Eric Killmonger, <laughs> a name that I would just like to say as many times as possible. And yep. Michael B. Jordan, I have to say, like who I, I got to know playing sweet guys in a couple of different projects, is a pretty effective, tough mm-hmm. villain when yeah. he decides to go in that direction. Mm-hmm. What'd you think, Thompson? I loved it. When you think about how much superhero origin stories have to accomplish, especially some of these ones where they're assembling a super team. Think about that Justice League movie from Mm. from last fall and how many stories that thing was trying to tell. This movie has to construct a lot of origin stories as well as bear the weight of being presented as, and I think accomplishing, essentially a feast of black excellence. Mm -hmm. You are seeing a feast of black excellence on the screen. They have a garage full of Maseratis and they rev them all up. You have Michael B. Jordan, great actor. Chadwick Mm -hmm. Boseman, I mean, he is a very, very good actor. Mm -hmm. Whatever you think of him in in this role. I mean, Angela Bassett pops up. (laughs) Sterling K. Brown, relatively small part, Mm -hmm. is a major, major actor. Then you've got Kendrick Lamar doing original songs. You just have this onslaught of greatness portraying a society that is an onslaught of greatness. Mm. Wakanda has this incredible array of technology which goes into the visual imagination of of this movie. It is also a a movie that is in many ways about female strength and resilience and Mm -hmm. power. Women in this movie have incredible strength and agency and importance and are talking to each other. It is about strong black women being important. Mm. And so it's doing all of these origin story things. It's checking all these boxes that you have to check off. You have to establish what Wakanda is. You have to establish the motivation for the villain. And as you said, Glenn, he has to have a point. Mm -hmm. It has to do all these things, but it is also attempting this massive swing 
of representing yeah. uh, uh, black excellence, and it is a feminist movie. And at the end of it, to me, it's still fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is a remarkable accomplishment. I think the car chase, I mean, it's so funny, Gene, you and I were talking before this movie, I was like, I wanted a lot more of Wakanda, and I wanted an extra car chase, and I wanted them to bring it in under two hours. <laughs> you know? Like, I, a lot of the critiques we're having of this movie are like, I just wanted more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wanted to see another one, and another one, and how often it speaks to how effectively this movie pulls off what it's trying to do, that so much of what we wanted from this movie that we didn't get is just more. Mm. Yeah, and I think the point that you make about the women in the film is really important because in most superhero films and most kind of action films, what you will get at most is maybe one woman, right? And we've talked about this. I wrote a whole piece about this in the context of Black Widow, that when you only have one major female character, she becomes responsible for carrying Mm -hmm. all of the expectations. Here's a movie where you have women who are warriors and women who are, you know, more uh, in maternal kind of matriarchal roles. And Letitia Wright, who's playing, who is so so good good. in this, unbelievably good in this. You might have seen her in the Black Museum episode of Black Mirror, if you're wondering where you saw her. And she is so good. And she is, you know, she's the cue of Mm -hmm. this universe. She's totally the cue. And the parts where she's showing off gizmos to him are so much fun. Mm -hmm. And I enjoyed them so much. I love that performance. She's so charismatic. When you write a lot of women, and in this case, a lot of black women, you create a situation where they're not so responsible for carrying everything. I've said a million times, one of the primary effects of privilege is not having to represent anything except yourself. And that's where I think when you write a whole bunch of of black women in a film like this, there's a little bit more breathing room mm-hmm. for development that's really difficult when everybody feels like the one woman or the one right. black woman in your TV show or your movie is somehow speaking to what you think black women are or can be or should be. I mean, think about the love story in this movie and how unbelievably perfunctory it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How yeah. unimportant it is. And when you think about Scarlett Johansson in the Avengers movies, she's very often in most scenes, she's the one woman mm-hmm. and it revolves a lot about who she's dating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the love story exists kind of to like score jokes off of. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like 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 it's just like bzz, 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 like mm-hmm. teasing the yeah. fact that there is this kind of crush happening and otherwise it's just not that important and I found that incredibly refreshing. And while all this action is going on you have this white middle-aged CIA guy in the background <laughs> doing his bit. Yeah. He's, he's helping out. Yeah. <laughs> he, he occasionally has to step in and be scrappy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean there's literally nothing that looks like this ever. I mean, like yeah. the close. I mean, on in the this is a weird sort of an analog, but like maybe the closest thing is like in cinema is probably Zamunda. Like this like world in the coming to America thirty <laughs> yeah. years ago, right? You just have like all these like beautiful black people. I mean, obviously the politics of that the, of <laughs> yeah. Zamunda are very different and much more aggressive in a bunch of different ways. <laughs> but there is like uh, I mean Evan Narcisse 
put a really good comment about like how one of the great things about this movie is like if a black person dies in this movie, it's fine. There are a million other black people. <laughs> it's not like it's a really good. Point. It's not like like the black. It's people not, it's not LL Cool J dying Absolutely. in that shark movie. Absolutely, in the shark movie, yeah. right? Uh, <laughs> but there's a way in which there's black henchmen. There's black. You know what I mean? There's like all these. Even though we didn't talk about the guy who plays the leader of the the mountain tribe, mm-hmm. uh, he has a couple great lines in there. You know what I mean? Like there's, I love that. Guy. Um, I love that dude too. I was like, who is this dude? I never saw him. But there's a way like the spectrum of just to back up a little bit. Like Ryan Coogler's from Oakland, right? He shouts out Oakland a lot in the mm-hmm. beginning part of the movie and towards the end. But just like that dude who Michael B. Jordan plays, it's like a very specific dude. Like I like I know. I mean, I don't know dudes like that. I mean, I don't know dudes who are like you know. You don't know Navy Seals. But like. That universe of politics is a yeah. real thing. Right. Um, there's so many things in the movie that like sort of signifiers that like Killmonger has the scarring in the movie because it's like these are kills. But like there are lots of people in Africa, like certain uh, communities that have those scarrings, like ritual scarring, whatever. But there are all these sort of visual cues of all these other things. There was one scene in which they're they're meeting in like the the king's council room mm-hmm. and someone's doing some clicking, right? Like like there's a click language happening. It's like, oh, they're literally throwing all of the signifiers right. mm-hmm. in in this movie, um, which is amazing. But again, like it's just, I wanted I wanted all those things to have more room to breathe and I think this is like I've been tweeting about this and we've been talking about this a little bit but like there's a way in which like part of the reason I'm just like I just like the movie and I love it is because like my expectations were so high in part because the conversation around this movie has been about all of this other stuff right I was talking to Eve Ewing uh, before I came in here and she was saying like at her church they were selling tickets to this movie in the back of the church at this on Sunday. Like the conversation around this movie is the kind of conversation we've seen for I'm doing air quotes, like important black films, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in which people like go by the busload and like we're gonna take a class full of kids to go see it because it's important they see it. Like that's the conversation around this movie, which is a Marvel superhero movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and so there's a way in which the consumption of this movie feels political in a way that complicates all of this for me. Yeah, what's interesting is that in the comics, from the jump, the character of Black Panther has been struggling with, do I go out in the world and have fun with the Avengers, or am I a king back mm-hmm. at home? And, and you know, Ta-Nehisi Coates' latest run was essentially that. And that was a very thoughtful and kind of interior and very uh, dealt with philosophies of ruling others in a way you don't necessarily expect from a slam-bam superhero comic. I thought that's what this was going to be about because huh. that's mm-hmm. what the character has always been about. Mm-hmm. Sure. And instead, to make it about uh, having Black Panther question his privilege. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right, right. That, that right. was a really interesting way to go. It makes yeah. it relatable to the white audience. <laughs> <laughs> and also, like, uh, I saw a screening of this film with Coogler and Tanis Coates. It was at the IMAX Theater uh, downtown at the Air and Space Museum. Wow. For a crowd of Howard University students. Oh, wow. Oh, so that's nice. like the pure undistilled It essence. was <laughs> the finest Absolutely. viewing experience. Go back in time and do that. Because that's the best <laughs> way and he was talking about how it was important to him to bring in the diaspora, the pan-African mm-hmm. qualities, and not just come from an African-American perspective. Do everything he could to steer into the African part of uh, African-American. Uh, we talked a, a little about this before we started rolling, but like there is... Michael B. Jordan has had a very different experience as a is a black dude who grew up in America mm-hmm. than T'Challa, right? Like, who was a king, right? You could imagine a world in which T'Challa was in America and then is, like, radicalized by that, right? Like, T'Challa is, in a lot of ways, like, the most conservative figure yeah. in the movie, right? Because he does not have to deal with the fetters of white supremacy. There's a really funny line um, in which Letitia Wright calls Martin Freeman's character a, a colonizer, just as an aside. And it got a huge laugh at the theater. But it was like, it's so, it was like, it's so true. I mean, it was just, <laughs> it was... There was something about the way everyone in the movie took blackness as the fault, right? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, like, that Martin Freeman is the weirdo, right? Like, he's like, oh, right. why are you here? Like, you know, that was, like, 
or he's the extra person. He right. feels right. like uh-huh. thrown in. He's extraneous. Absolutely. He's a tag along. Yeah. One of the things I thought was so interesting about it was in a typical superhero story, you will see, and this is often true in Marvel movies, you will see the villain trying to get a hold, as we've talked about over and over again, of the box, right? <laughs> yeah. yep. Everybody wants a box. Now we're going to fight over the box. What I liked about the Killmonger angle of this story is there's no box. Mm-hmm. There's no... MacGuffin. There's, there's not no like a, pe- there's there's not a an... piece of vibranium that, that there, they're all chasing after. I mean, there well. is vibranium. Look, vibranium, <laughs> which is the essential mineral that there's a lot of in Wakanda. The source and... of a lot of power. Right. The MacGuffinium. The yes. source of their power. <laughs> However, the vibranium is not really the point of their conflict. Mm. This conflict would exist with or without vibranium. Their conflict is not really about that. The conflict is really about how to be a person very much in the world as it actually exists, even Mm. though Wakanda doesn't exist. What I like about it is it's a conflict that doesn't require an artificial doomsday device to exist. This is a conflict that goes to what kind of a place should we be? What kind of a country should we be? Should we be isolationist? Should we cooperate with other countries? Should we see ourselves as responsible for people who maybe are not living here? Should we see ourselves as global citizens? And I'll be darned if anybody might think that that has any current resonance. But, (laughs) you know, where do your responsibilities lie to other human beings is really what the film is about. There is a moral dilemma at the core of this movie. And it's persuasive. It's a persuasive moral dilemma to me. Yeah. And it it, it exists once the imminent problem has been solved. Plus battle rhinos. I was going to say war rhinos. (laughs) Pretty much everything you need. Battle rhinos, love that. Do want to call out how good the music is in this movie mm-hmm. and how how effective the score is. They use a lot of drumming and stuff, and it really does give you this sense. You, you feel yourself sitting up in your seat in part because of the kind of throb of the music, which is I just think so effective. They really check every box. I think this movie's so good. Well, the thing is, this is a film that I got to the end of it and I was like, hmm, here are all the people whose movies I would watch. Absolutely. I would watch the Denai Guerrero character's movie. I would watch the Lupita character's movie. I would watch definitely the Letitia Wright character's movie. I would watch the Killmonger movie, his prequel, where you see more (laughs) of his development. Uh, I would watch the Daniel Kaluuya movie Mm -hmm. and I would watch the Mountain Tribe. uh, the, The movie about the Mountain Tribe. And so... We got a lot of potential it's, hey man, here. It's the Marvel Universe. You make it your chance. <laughs> when, you say, when I say take my money, I mean take it for like the next 30 years because mm. you've laid the groundwork here for all the movies that I want to watch uh-huh. in the future. So sign me up. It did feel sort of like its own thing in a lot of ways. Yeah. Up until, you know, the post-credit stuff. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. there's a way in which... The other stuff is sort of like mostly extraneous. Like you don't see any anyone pop up from the other movies. Yeah, until. it's not that the stakes are low, that the, the stakes are contained. You can get your head around them as opposed to save the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, in a way, they're saving the world, but they're saving they're doing it very specifically. Well, they're they're less saving the world than trying to decide how to live in the world, yeah. and that I think is more compelling to me than maybe a saving in the world a saving the world final battle kind mm-hmm. of situation. Well, it is safe to say a few of you. We'll go see Black Panther. (laughs) And uh, so let us know what you think. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH or tweet at us at PCHH. When we come back, it is going to be time for our favorite segment of this week and every week. What is making us happy this week? So don't go away. This message comes from NPR sponsor Xfinity. Some things are slow, like snail races. 
Other things are fast, like Xfinity XFi. You get fast speeds even when everyone is online. Xfinity has the goal of maintaining coverage all over your house with reliable service for all devices so everyone is happy. You can even pause the in-home Wi-Fi to bring the family together. Working to make Wi-Fi simple, easy, awesome. More at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. This message comes from NPR sponsor Traditional Medicinals. Traditional Medicinals is the herbal tea company that lives up to its name. Traditional because of the formulas based on herbal traditions that have supported health and wellness for centuries. And medicinal because of the ethically sourced high-quality herbs like wild-collected Shisandra berries in their everyday detox tea. Use promo code NPR for 20% off at checkout. Powered by Traditional Medicinals. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Hulu. With the largest streaming library full of your favorite reality TV shows, Hulu is the home for reality TV's biggest fans. Catch all the drama, all the tears, all the heartbreak, all the competition. Because Hulu has your reality TV. Start your free trial today. Learn more at Hulu.com. What does it take to start something from nothing? And what does it take to actually build it? I'm Guy Raz. Every week on How I Built This, I speak with founders behind some of the most inspiring companies in the world. Find it on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Pop Culture Happy Hour. It is time for our favorite segment of this week and every week. What is making us happy this week? Stephen Thompson, what is making you happy this week? I'm going really, really simple this week, and I just want to call out the Twitter feeds of friends of the show, Josh Gondelman and Maris Kreitzman. Josh is a comedian. He's actually been on our show before. He's a staff writer for Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, Emmy winner. Uh, Maris is, a, is an author. She wrote a book called Slaughterhouse 90210 that, Linda, you have written about and, and recommended. And I just want to shout out the easy, kind joy of the way these people exist on the Internet. They exist as, like, pal to the world. Mm -hmm. Josh gives pep talks on Twitter. He'll he'll say things like, for the next six minutes, I'll be giving pep talks. You tweet back at him and he just cheers you up. Mm -hmm. They tweet a lot, as you guys know, about their adorable little pug, Busy. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the pinned tweet on Josh's Twitter feed is a picture of Busy wrapped in a blanket with pugs on it. Mm -hmm. And it, the tweet is just, I have encrypted the dog. <laughs> um these folks are sources of good in the world. Just small, little, a thousand points of light. Mm -hmm. There are two little points of light. <laughs> Busy's the third mm -hmm. um, yes. in, in the world. And I just enjoyed them so much. And if you're not following them, I highly recommend it. Josh Gondelman, just at Josh Gondelman, and Maris Kreitzman, uh, M-A-R-I-S-K-R-E-I-Z-M-A-N. Absolutely. They're both a joy. One of America's kindest married couples. <laughs> and their adorable dog. Thank you very much, Stephen Thompson. Glenn Weldon, what is making you happy this week? You'd think, Linda Holmes, that at this point in our cultural life, the true crime <laughs> yep. documentary parody would have been played out. We had American Vandal. Where else is there to go? <laughs> I'll tell you where I know where this is go. going. Uh, the Onion podcast series called A Very Fatal Murder. Uh, it is only six or seven episodes long. Each episode is 20 minutes long. Instead of you investing in the story, them adopting all the tropes of, of true crime documentaries, they instead go meta. And what this is about is a cool podcast person from Brooklyn looking for the perfect murder to comment on American society <laughs> and our reliance on fossil fuels and uh, feminism. And the joke is he goes to this town where there's been this horrible murder. 
And at one point, he is driving past the school that the uh, young woman who was murdered went to. And he says, I passed her school. It's the kind of school where the football field is bigger than the chemistry lab. (laughs) (laughs) And that's his attitude about the entire town. And I Mm -hmm. paused at that moment to savor... The efficiency of yeah. that joke, yep. mm-hmm. the the simplicity of that joke, and how much joke. that joke says about the teller. So if you like that, just know <laughs> that the uh, series, which gets very, very dark in a very funny way, doubles down on that, and then triples down on that, and then quadruples down on that. And by the time it's dodeca-downing upon it, uh, it is gone off in some a very weird direction, but it is so funny and so dark and so it knows exactly what it is from the jump and does not stray from that. So that is a very fatal murder uh, from The Onion. Thank you very much, Glenn Weldon. Gene Demby, what is making you happy this week? Um, so a couple weeks weekends ago, I made the stupid mistake of buying a Nintendo Switch. Uh, oh, and, yeah. uh, It has basically sucked up my entire life oh, since. This is um, why I, I haven't. This is, it. The, this is yeah. exactly my, my, Particularly... My uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, yeah, which uh, I've kept mm-hmm. hearing stuff about. I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to go down this rabbit hole. Apparently, it was like the, the launch, it was one of the launch titles for the Switch, yeah. right? But apparently it was like on all these game of the year lists oh, yeah. like, uh-huh. when it came out. And it, it is a beautiful game. Like five minutes into it, after Link wakes up and you walk out into the world, you're like, oh, this is beautiful. It sounds beautiful. The thing that's so dope about it, I mean, one of the many things that's so dope about it is like, there's almost no way that two people playing this game will have the same experience. Yeah. Um, a couple times, I like after I beat a puzzle because this game is like all puzzles and exploring and fighting monsters or whatever. Um, a couple times after I beat a puzzle, I would go to like YouTube and watch somebody else's walkthrough, and I was like, I didn't do that at all that way. <laughs> you know, I didn't use any of the same machines or tools or whatever. Um, and we got to the same place. It's really hard to build a game um, that is like challenging without being frustrating without being so frustrating that you just want to like throw your thing down like I'm not playing this again mm-hmm. um, and also be challenging enough that like when you beat something when you like f- figure out the puzzle you actually feel like satisfied with mm-hmm. it so that's what's making me happy this week uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild on the Nintendo Switch thank you very much mm-hmm. Gene Demby so what is making me happy this week we spoke uh, earlier on our Olympics podcast about the delightful Adam Rippon yes. mm-hmm. and this week uh, at Vanity Fair uh, the writer Richard Lawson yeah, wrote yeah. a piece uh, about Adam Rippon called The Bittersweet Beauty of Adam Rippon. Now, we've talked a lot about representation on the show. This is a piece about what it means to Richard now to look at uh, Adam skating, but it's also very much a piece about what he thinks it would have meant to him as a kid. Mm-hmm. And it really gets into ideas about identity and friendship, and he speaks about uh, his life when he was younger and some of what he experienced socially with, you know, help or not help from his parents and other people's parents. And it's a really touching story. It's also really economical. It's not terribly lengthy, but it says a lot in a short period of time. And it's one of those things where you sort of think you know what you're getting and you you both get what you're looking for and also get more than you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And I really, really commend it to you. Um, The piece, again, is called The Bittersweet Beauty of Adam Rippon. It's by Richard Lawson at Vanity Fair. And that very much made me happy this week. And uh, it was retweeted by Adam himself, which I'm sure meant quite a bit. (laughs) And that is what is making me happy this week. That brings us to the end of our show. You can follow all of us on Twitter. You can find me at NPR Monkey C. You can find Stephen at I Dislike Stephen. 
You can find Glenn at G.H. Weldon and Jean at G-E-E-D-E-E-215. You can follow our producer Jessica Reedy at Jessica underscore Reedy and our producer emeritus and music director Mike Katzif at Mike Katzif. That's K-A-T-Z-I-F. Mike's band Hello Come In provides our in and out music, which you are bobbing your head to right now. Thanks to all of you guys for being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And if you have a second and you're so inclined, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more folks to find the show. We will see all of you right back here next week.